Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for joining She Leads today. I'm so honored to have you as a guest, and I'm excited to get to hear your story more. Thank you very much, Carly. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So, so Terry, you were the former head of retail at Charles Schwab, and you've been involved in the financial service industries for 30 years. So just to kind of have a background, what made you so interested in finance? What drew you to finance and pursue this long career? Sure. Well, my undergrad was actually in chemistry and science, and I was very analytical. I love numbers. I love problem solving, and I love spreadsheets, even at that time, over 30 years ago. And I really wanted to help people and make an impact for people using what I my passion was, was numbers and critical thinking skills. And so I decided um, to go into the financial services industry to be able to help and support families because at the time, financial literacy was so disregarded. Young people were growing up with no idea about credit management, debt management, compounding, you know, banking, investing. Um, and then I had three children and I realized I need to teach them as well. And so it's really a way for me to enjoy my passion of analytics, but also serve individuals and families. Yeah. I, also, that is it's so true how young people don't have that financial literacy and especially like when it's so important. So let's just go there. What would you say, like, what is the right age to start planning financially? And especially like someone like me, I'm going to graduate from Stanford in June. Like, where should I be? What should I do to plan ahead? Well, congratulations on your accomplishments and to all of your listeners, you know, graduating from college is a really big life event and so much full of joy and celebration, despite the challenging times that we see today. So ultimately, um, you know, there's different stages of financial health that I'd like to spend a few moments talking about. Okay. Um, when you go to the doctor, Carly, what are some of the most important um, indicators of your health that they take for you? Probably blood pressure. Yep. Um, yeah. I, what else? I cholesterol. Cholesterol levels. Yep. Yeah. Weight, height, right? Yeah. And they know, Carly, you're, you're probably 22 years old. Is that accurate? Yes, very accurate. So we pretty much know health-wise uh, an adult between the ages of 18 and 30 should have these levels of metrics to be in the healthy range. It doesn't mean if you're not exactly there, you're unhealthy, but there's a number of different statistics that would tell a healthcare professional, is, are these people within this demographic healthy? And that applies for people between their 30s and 40s, their 40s and 50s and 60s, 80s and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to realize that there are certain health indicators of your physical health that people know about demographically and statistically. And this is where my passion is in the analytics. Well, the same applies to people of various ages for their financials. And so I'll give you a couple financial metrics that we look at at people in their certain age range. So for example, for a college graduate like you, what we might look at is your credit to debt ratio. How much credit do you have? How much debt do you have? And what does that actually mean? What are your uh, monthly living expenses? Um, what is your income? And then ultimately, what is your tax status? And ultimately, how can you save for the next 30 years for your own retirement? And so even though these are you know, less impactful measures at the age of 18 to 30, 
they become much more important as you go 30 to 40, 40 to 50. And then at 50, these become absolutely critical. So your, your blood cholesterol, your blood pressure, right. um, your weight, for example, um, all of those statistics become incredibly important. And the thing is, when you're, when you're so old, for example, I'm in my 50s, and you haven't been paying attention to some of these health indicators, right. it's much more difficult to get back to the state of health. Right. And so that's why I was so excited to talk to you, Carly, because the most important generation we can talk to about their financial health is your generation and getting you started on the right indicators so that when you're in your 50s and 60s, you're not playing catch up with everything because you've disregarded your financial health. Yeah. Okay. So going off of that, then what would you say, I know you're big on goal, writing down your goals. So what, so I guess that's an actionable tool we can, we can do, but can you elaborate a little bit about it, about writing your goals, why it's so important and in terms of like navigating whether we should do short term versus long term and how to kind of go around that. Sure. Well, statistically you have a much greater chance of achieving your goals. If you write them down, it doesn't matter if it's school goals, health goals, financial goals, marathon goals. So, you know, I've run 21 marathons. Wow. If I didn't write down my training plan and stick to it, there'd be a very good chance I would never finish that marathon. And thankfully, every marathon I've ever started, I've finished. And so um, some of the things that we make sure is that um, even if you don't want to go on an app or technology-driven goals, just take a pad of paper and a pen. I mean, I know that might be foreign to this generation, but write down, what do you see yourself doing in one year, right? Because one year is even a long time for college grads. What do you see yourself doing in five years? And then what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? And that includes the major life events. And so what I'd like to do is just take a moment to talk about life events. So you have college graduation. So you have goals around that and saving and investing. You have buying a home, for example. That might be a goal for many, many people. Depending on what coast they're on, it's more achievable you know, in different parts of the country than it is potentially here in the Bay Area, but that could be a goal that you start setting a plan for over the next five to 10 years. Then there's getting married potentially or building a spousal or partnership agreement together. Then there is having children potentially, if that is a possibility. And then there is planning for college. There is changing jobs. Carly, I will tell you in your age group, you will change jobs 11 times in your lifetime. 11 times that that's substantial and changing jobs involves several life events. So generally um, people who are working have some form of retirement savings plans like a 401k, a 403b, a SEP, um, whatever. If they're an entrepreneur, they might have a keto plan, but they have some form of retirement plans. And when they change jobs, they have to transfer all of that with them. So it's an important piece of information to know. And unfortunately, so many young people don't realize the opportunity that presents themselves from a tax-deferred savings standpoint of just a retirement plan like a 401k and a match on top of that. So job change presents retirement planning savings. You generally need insurance. You generally buy or sell a house. Most people about 30% of people who move, move within the same zip code. 
So even if they're changing jobs, they're just changing a zip code over to make their commute less, or they're buying a bigger house because they have, you know, more people to feed, whatever. But the job change is incredibly important. And you're usually buying more on credit when you when you ch- change jobs, because you either are buying a house or relocating. So that means you might be buying more furniture, another car, whatever. And so these life events are critical. And then from there, obviously, you have planning for retirement, living in retirement, which um, may be difficult to understand for someone who's 22, but mm. those years go by quickly. And then the last one is planning your legacy. And one of the things I like to tell young people, Carly, is that having a will and a power of attorney is so important. Um, there's a woman named Terry Schiavo, which you know probably 25 years ago um, was on her uh, respirator, and she had no health care power of attorney. She was only 26 years old at the time, mm. and so they didn't know how to handle it because she had no power of attorney. Well, these are simple documents you can get online and just fill them out and keep them. Tell your parents where they are. I hate to bring, like, be a Debbie Downer, but these are simple Mm. documents that we need to have in case anything should happen. Mm. And especially as we are today with the coronavirus, something everyone should be thinking about, not because they have a lot of money, but because they care most about the people they potentially may leave than, than they actually care about themselves. So that's such, such great piece of advice. And I can go in so many directions after this, but I do want to expand a little bit in the sense that for someone like me, how did you have like a mentor that helped you through this or who should I go to in order to help me? Because it does seem like a lot to deal with, like when when someone who doesn't know a lot about finance and and planning ahead. So what do you think, what what can help? Well, certainly I had a mentor and I was very fortunate um, my mother was a wonderful financial leader in our household. Um, that's not true for everyone, maybe mother or father or both. But um, I was very transparent with my own mother when I was your age. And I got a job making X amount and my expenses were Y amount. And we figured out how to not only just live within my means, but to still save for retirement and have an emergency fund. So in your particular case, The three most important things for your age for the next seven years are, one, contribute to your retirement plan. If you're self-employed, if you're an entrepreneur, or if you're working for a firm, contribute to that tax deferred. Even if it's just, you know, simple $50 a month or $100 a month or whatever you can save. Because the compounding value of that money over 20 years will shock you how much you actually have saved. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are investing up to the match. So many firms that you might work for will match you up to 6 to 7%. So you want to make sure you are contributing at least that much because that's free money, mm-hmm. right? And you do that 20, 30 years, right. you end up with close to a million dollars when you're ready to, to graduate. And a million dollars is still a lot of money. So that's number one. Number two is establish an emergency savings account so that you're not reliant on your credit card if your tire should blow or if you have a health emergency or something like that. Have about six months of your income saved in a bank account that you can easily access that money. Now, that might seem like a lot as you get older and you have more net worth, 
you can cut that down to three months. Mm -hmm. But just to get settled, that's important. And then the third area is to make sure that you've got a financial management plan. And that means tracking your expenses. Mm -hmm. And that means setting those goals Mm -hmm. that we talk about. You know, maybe you're only going to spend $50 a week on discretionary expenses Mm -hmm. because that's what you can afford. And then managing to that each week through a spreadsheet, through an online app. There are so many online apps to manage expenses. A lot of people think it's not that fun, but once you get established and once you start going, it's easy, easy to do, and it's so informative. It's much like if anyone ever wants to you know, lose weight, what do they have to track? Well, their calories, their mm-hmm. exercise, and then do the deduction, and that's how much number of pounds they lose. It's not always fun and sexy, but it's worthwhile yeah. in terms of the outcomes you want to achieve. Definitely. So, okay, so shifting gears a bit. First, that was so helpful. So I'm going to rewatch this and then write some notes. But first, shifting gears to mm-hmm. you've, you've held a ton of senior leadership positions. Can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, Okay. Cool. I can hear you. You've held so many senior positions in leadership in finance. So I want to get a sense of, how is it being a female, first of all, a female leader in finance and navigating around that if you've ever felt if you've ever felt you've had to overcompensate and um, feel like you've been the only female in the room and just navigating around that, how you felt as a female in finance? Okay, well, in the financial services industry, we have one of the lowest percentages of women in leadership as well as lowest percentages of working. Um, I think the tech industry is worse than mm-hmm. us, but we're second lowest. So not a great place to be, but what a great opportunity. You know, it's how you look at it. And so I, my passion has been in finance. It has been um, in really leading people to a much greater purpose through their financials. And I mean that sincerely, it doesn't matter if you make, you know, $50,000 a year or $2 million a year, we all have a purpose and we want to be able to achieve those areas of values and purpose And money is a means to do that. Mm -hmm. So in the financial services industry, it is heavily weighted um, towards males. And so I have been in situations in many meetings. As a matter of fact, I've thought about starting my own art collection of pictures in rooms where you have all the same shirts, blue or white, and then a tie. And then the head, you know, potentially cut off because it's anonymous. And then me with, you know, maybe a flowery shirt or a... Right. You know, more colorful shirt. And it's the contrast is substantial. And I think it would be amazing to go to art museums today yeah. and see what's actually happening. Because when you actually see it, it can be quite remarkable to think, wow, everyone is wearing the same shirt in that room except for one person. And and so I have been in those situations. What I have tried to do is find a way to build bridges, mm-hmm. find a way to... Um, create positive communications and find a way to align with men so that they see the opportunity through their sisters, their mothers, or their daughters. That's how you emotionally connect with them because every man wants the woman in her, his life to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so once you personalize it for them, they generally respond very positively, but it, it is a challenge. The second thing I've done is I've been in the room with maybe two or three other women. And what I will do for them is we call it um, reflective echoing. So they may say something 
and then I will reinforce, well, my friend Marie mm. just said this, and I believe this is the right direction to go, right? So not only am I reinforcing her, I'm using her name mm. because there's, you know, only a, two or three female names. I'm not saying Joe, Jim, or Bob. Yeah. And it, over time, it starts to change that what we call, and you're at Stanford, which is the epitome of unconscious bias, right? It's not intentional, but Stanford has done enormous work and great work on understanding their own unconscious bias. Right, and so it's almost like us females, we have to band together. And also I feel like it's very important to have that confidence and knowing in yourself that you deserve to be in the room, doesn't matter regardless Absolutely. of gender, anything else, you, you there, you're there, you can contribute, everything. So I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, every woman is different. Every man is different. I've always been willing to take risks yeah. in my life and settle for whatever happens. And those risks involve career decisions like, you know, getting my MBA, like getting my certified financial planner designation while mm -hmm. I was having three children, like moving from five hours south of the Canadian border to five hours north yeah. of the Mexican border with three young children and a, and a wonderful husband, obviously. Yeah. But those are all major risks that, that I've taken in my lifetime. And most of them, I'm happily can say, have, have proven mm -hmm. out to be yeah. the right thing for my family, my faith, my physical health, and my finances. But you have to have that level of confidence yeah. to take those risks and realize you won't have every answer but you have the resources and the relationships to get every answer you need. Right. So I know you also, this is a personal connection, but I know you also played volleyball in college. So you were a student athlete and I can relate because as a soccer player at Stanford, I know you definitely learn a lot of skills in teamwork, leadership and whatnot. And I want to know what are some skills that you think that you've taken from being a student athlete and you've taken either in finance um, in leadership and just in general, what skills do you see today? Sure. I think those are limited to two things, although, you know, the yeah. teamwork and the camaraderie and the passion for winning are very important. But there are two things that I take with me from my athletic background and still leverage today. First of all, is that feedback is a gift mm -hmm. and that coaching is a gift. And every athlete knows they have never arrived, even the very best, you know, Stephen Curry here in the Bay Area, he knows he's the very best, but he's, he's never arrived. And so he's constantly reinventing his game and practicing. And when his coach gives him feedback, he doesn't say, oh, forget it. Like, I'm the one that knows. Yeah. He says, great, I'll take care of it. In, in athletics, I've, my favorite story is, especially in volleyball, and I'm sure you feel this way about soccer, the ball comes over the net. The first player that hits it has to pass it to the to the setter and get a right the right second ball so that the setter can then set it and then the player the the hitter has to hit it. Okay. Well, if you screw up that first pass, you're done. Like and so when you do that and it happens, right, as the as the back row player, yeah. your friends don't come back there and say, "Oh, bummer. You're really good." They say, "Get your butt down and get this one." Right? Mm -hmm. They they tell you straight out. They don't sugarcoat everything of course they're not mean yeah. but they're honest like if, if you don't get this right we're never gonna win right. and so and you know if you screw up too many times that coach is pulling you off and putting you on the bench everybody knows rules <laughs> yes everybody does and so that's refreshing to me in the business world because I know I'm not going to do everything perfect I want feedback mm -hmm. I want to be able to get better each day 
And when I need to take a time out, I need to take a time out. And that's important. And so all of, all of those skills made a big difference. And then the, the second thing I took from athletics was really just the joy of winning and knowing what that feels like as a part of a team. And there is no I in team. And when you really push yourselves and have that passion and honesty and transparency together, it can be the very best experience of your lifetime. I love it. I love it. I think, I think two things that I can take away is one, the importance of having that level of humility and knowing, taking the constructive feedback and being, cause it's true. You, some people, if like they feel that they're the best, they don't need feedback you can't grow in that sense. And you grow so much when you're in this like uncomfortable setting, when you're challenged. So I think that's really important. Um, so you mentioned how you have three kids and I'm wondering how, how is it balancing being a mother, being a powerful leader in, fi- in finance? How has that been? Has it gone easier over the years as they've gotten older or in general? Sure. Well, you know, I, I've heard a lot of really um, successful women talk about that, you know, balance comes in seasons and there's no perfect balance for anyone's life, men or women. And what is so great today about the business world is that we have paternal leave and maternal leave. And that is a that is a gift. Now, when I had my three children, we didn't have that. But I've had a wonderful husband who we have we share the same values for our children, education, family, time, faith. And so um, one of the things that I tried to do was just not put so much pressure on myself. Um, you know, I have a I have a couple examples of um, when I was working full time and my children were at a daycare, um, you know, I would block out my lunch so I could go over to um, one of my child's and just either nurse them or spend some time with them, even take a little nap with them, you know, a 20 minute nap while they're on their little cot was a joyful experience for me. And, you know, it was a half an hour out of my day. Maybe I stayed a little bit longer, but you know, I'm a big believer in the seven habits of highly effective people. If you've ever read that book, if you haven't, I highly encourage it. But there is a part of seven habits that says you have to schedule in the things that are your biggest priority. And if you schedule those in first, the littler rocks will fall in line. And so my kids, my work, my family, and my faith have always been my big rocks. And then the other things fall into place as we go forward. It doesn't mean I neglect anything, but it means I'm constantly trying to schedule in the things that had the most impact at that time. I love it. I love, I love those three rocks. I think that's important. Um, so unfortunately, we're almost getting out of time, and I could probably talk to you for hours more because I'm learning so much. But I wanted three more questions is quick, fun ones. First, what are you most proud of when you look back, when you look at your career now? What do you what can you say you're most proud of? You know, I made a decision to get my certified financial planner after my MBA while I was pregnant and moving. And um, that has been a turning point in my career in terms of understanding um, client financial situations, managing the complexity of finance, taxation, estate planning. And for me, when I achieved that, um, I was, I can't remember, I was probably 31. I knew that I could do anything. So for me, I'm most proud of really committing myself to another advanced uh, certification and leveraging that in my career. So, you know, bottom line, education is still incredibly important. Yeah. And then what is, what's a passion or hobby that you have that's unrelated to work? 
Yeah, well, uh, running. I do a lot marathon, of running. Yeah. Uh, I've run 21 marathons and one half Ironman. Wow. Um, I, okay. I still run a lot, and um, it's really great therapy. And one, one of the things I used to always say is when people would call me last minute and say, hey, I really want to meet with you, I'd say, hey, great, I'm ready at 5 a.m. for a run. You want to join me? And then, and then they would always say, well, no, it's not that important. I'd be like, okay. I was going to say, and for how's the one, that response? Yeah. Yeah, for the ones that it was really important, they'd be like, okay, I'll yeah. come. I'll bring my bike, but I'll talk to you then. For sure. And um, so I do that. And then, you know, just spending time with my children right now while we're in this coronavirus situation. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she's 15, almost 16. I play volleyball with her every day. Oh, and so fun. just being very intentional about those special times uh, with them is, is probably my biggest hobby. Yeah. So last last fun question is, What's a weird, fun talent that you have that no one else really knows about? And I'll yeah. give mine as a little, as something to think about. But what I can do is I can throw blueberries and grapes. If I throw them up, I can catch them in my mouth. So I'll give you a little, a little preview. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how this oh, goes. Oh, that's great. Okay. So here's a blueberry. I see it. Wait, wait, wait. I need, I need, I need another time. <laughs> the throw was not good. It's all in the throw. There we go. Ah! There we go. Very nice. Took a few times, but it's all right. We're still good. Yeah, that's right. So you just keep getting better and better. <laughs> exactly. It takes practice. So what did you say yours is? A weird talent. Okay, hold on. I, I had no idea I was going to get this question, so just hold on. Okay. <laughs> well, something that people do not know about me for the most part is that I'm a fire baton twirler Ooh. and I spent uh, the majority of my young years um, twirling fire batons or uh, being a baton twirler um, at various parades and the Chicago St. Patrick's Day parade and wow. at Notre Dame and so on so here's my fire baton oh my god this is oh, so just awesome. kidding oh. but no <laughs> wow that's so but, awesome though Oh my this God. is my baton. Um, I didn't bring the fire tonight, but Next I can time. do a lot with this. Wow. And it was something I started at a very young age. That's amazing. That's that's. I love it. That's great. See, if, if I didn't ask that, we wouldn't have gone to know that you're a fire baton thrower. So there you go. That's right. <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much, Terry. I learned so much, and I'm so honored that you were a guest on She Leads. So thank you. I appreciate your time and your You're welcome. Best of luck to you and happy spring. Thank bye you. Bye-bye.